0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Center Stand, the motorcycle industry podcast presented by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows, also known as IMS Outdoors. Okay, we're rolling towards the end of the 2020 calendar year. Thank God, I know. Uh, It's been a pain in the butt in many, many, many ways, but the motorcycle industry experienced a sales boom that kind of wasn't expected initially and and hasn't really been seen since uh, about 2008 so uh we want to hit kind of a year in review from an outside of the industry perspective a little bit uh and so we've got a couple of great uh guests with us that are going to put power sports uh under a different lens uh and i want to welcome our two guests uh, peter valdez de pena with cnn business and Roy Furchgott from the New York Times, that's right, two genuine, real journalists. And uh, I'm really excited for this episode coming up. Gentlemen, welcome. All right. Thank you. See that? They get exactly to the point. That's what journalists do. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Peter, uh, we're going to fire off with you first. You're the senior writer uh, with CNN Business. You've covered automotive, transportation industries, um, would you give us sort of a, a brief look into your background and sort of why you focus in, or one of your focuses is uh, sort of motorcycles and, and automotive? What fires you up about that?
1: Well, yeah, I've been into covering the transportation business uh, for a long time growing up. My my dad was an amateur race driver. Um, so I've been around cars and car stuff uh, pretty much all my life. And I've been writing mostly about cars, but also uh, sometimes about motorcycles for CNN for, gosh, going on, on 20 years uh, almost now. And it's a, I have to say, I've been really lucky in that it's an amazing time uh, to be covering all forms of transportation with all the advances in technology. You know, we've, hybrids were exciting, and now they're passe. Now we're getting into electric cars and electric motorcycles uh, also coming down, uh, coming down the pike now. Um, so it's been a really fascinating time to cover and watch this industry.
0: And so, yeah, it's a, a great point about how things uh, have been shifting. Technology is sort of uh, just part of the language now. Um, can you speak to in 2020 on the automotive side of things? Can you speak to what happened in the car side of the industry for those of us who've been focusing on two wheels and power sports?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think the, the fascinating thing about watching this is it's it's in that obviously the the industry the sales are down, but it has not been down as much as people were thinking that it was. For example, the the uh, the National Automobile Dealers Association has actually kind sort of nudged back up their projections for what sales are going to be. Still down from last year, but again not as disastrous as people have thought. Some brands like Mazda uh, actually has had better sales uh, this year than last mm-hmm. year. Pia uh, also has just had a go, really a big uptake in sales uh, in September. So we've seen you know, some brands doing quite well. Uh, overall, the industry has really been relying on trucks, uh, our big sellers. Trucks and SUVs are big sellers. But what's interesting the that their two biggest sellers have been the CX-9, which is a big three-row, three-row SUV, but also the uh, Mazda Miata has seen a big increase in sales and we're seeing sort of more interest in people who are getting are getting back into the fun side of it as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's reflected in uh, motorcycling. We had that um, had that bump, and I suppose there's no better way of uh, uh, dispersing the air of pandemic issues than either dropping the roof or riding a motorcycle. So I think that uh, there's a logical thing happening there. Um, from your perspective, what have you seen in uh, motorcycling that's sort of either parallel or divergent from automotive?
1: Uh I don't really, to be honest, I don't really show that I see necessarily a lot of parallel, except the one that you just mentioned. I think the consumers are interested in having fun again and getting out there uh, by themselves with one other person. And I think that speaks well to motorcycles. One thing I'm, I'm going to be watching is in, this is a longer term trend, but clearly with uh, trucks and TVs, we're seeing a real resurgence in interest in off-roading. Um for the bronco i just got done literally yesterday going out for a drive in the new bronco sport uh honda is going back and redesigning a lot of this suvs to bring up their off-road character more to attract more uh, off-road interested consumers to their honda uh trucks and suvs that worked way before so i think we're seeing a lot more and that's going to be something that i'm keeping an eye on expecting wondering if that will follow parallel in a motorcycle market as well. Our dirt bike's going to see a big resurgence.
0: Mm, interesting. Roy, I would like to uh, have you tip in here. Um, you've got extensive award-winning editorial background, uh, touring the sewers of Vienna being one of the highlights. We might need to hear more about that. But uh, uh, but sort of the role of uh, marketing and, and uh, politics, um which is of course our favorite subject these days um and the world of motorcycling. Can you give us a little bit of your personal background and experience in in automotive and motorcycling?
2: uh sure um most of my background has just been driven by my own curiosity i've uh certainly enjoyed cars going back to my very first uh uh g t that I modified and um have pretty much modified every car I've owned since. Um, was a uh, uh, motorcyclist as a teenager briefly until uh, my parents had a total freakout and then became a reentry <laughs> rider at midlife. And I am still probably the worst surviving motorcyclist on the road, but um, I still enjoy it. Uh, and uh, as I say, my curiosity generally drives what I'm looking into, which is why I do a lot of uh, stories about schools, for instance, because uh, I'm trying to figure out why I'm not better.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is that so? Is is rider training is that your most uh, um, your topic of the highest interest? Because that really lays on top of this fact that we're getting a bunch of new riders coming out of this pandemic.
2: Well, it is. It is one of my interests. But as a, you know, I'm a little all over the map on this. I'm particularly interested in. Uh, cultures, where car cultures, motorcycle cultures, um, any group of uh, people who get together for an enthusiasm. Um, because this is something that they are really, to, to use an overword, a use word, uh, passionate about. Mm-hmm. And there's often good copy in that uh, passion.
0: And uh, so as an active rider, um, th- Have you seen where your editorial audience is, is asking for coverage of motorcycling in in the general press? I mean, we get a little bit jaded or, or, you know, we live in our own forest in power sports land over here sometimes. And, uh, um, and it's, it's more anecdotal that we've got non-riders coming in, but are, you know, into a dealership to check out bikes. But, is there that same sort of interest, you know, popping up in, in how people are receiving motorcycle stories or or transportation tech that relates to motorcycling?
2: Uh, I don't think it, it kind of goes quite that way. People may be interested in an aspect of it or, again, a group of people who have something that fascinates them about a particular motorcycle or, you know,
3: mm-hmm. um, collectors,
2: that kind of thing. Um, an important point to make, particularly with the general press, is um there's not a lot of motorcycle coverage
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, as The Times points out it 's the automotive section, not the motorcycle section.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If I can slip four stories in a year, that is a banner year
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that one of the things that I'll just speak as, uh, you know, as the, uh, the power sports guy on the, in the, on the panel here is that motorcycling to us is a solution to sort of transportation ills, parking, um, traffic jams, uh, you know, HOV lane access, stuff like that is that. Is that of interest to uh, the non-endemic media or or are motorcyclists just the weirdos on two wheels and they're they're never really worth paying attention to? Uh,
2: I'm going to go with weirdos on two wheels. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, certainly there's an argument to be made, but if you look at uh, sort of the, the image that the general populace sees when they look at motorcyclists, it's not uh, a friendly uh eco conscious uh, granola cruncher.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so that's that's a bit of a hard sell. And I would say that in my own um uh experience with, with fellow riders, the uh, uh the goal of saving uh uh you know one less car, as they say, with for bicyclists is um really ancillary that's not the main reason we ride that's a nice uh side effect of our riding
0: i see so peter um with your focus in on the business side with cnn on cnn business it you know power sports polaris industries uh um harley davidson um you know some of the other you know Ah, uh, tech companies. You know, uh, it was interesting that uh, Tesla introduced the Cybertruck and had an ATV in the back just to prove that yeah. it was a truck, sort of thing. Um, right. Is uh, what's your perspective on how uh, sort of power sports and motorcycling is seen from from the CNN business side of things?
1: It's gonna be interesting to, to watch. It's not, to be honest with you, something we we cover um a lot. As you we were saying earlier, that it's it's something I just do a couple of stories a year uh that touch on motorcycles. Part of that is that you're not for one the thing, there's not a lot of publicly traded motorcycle companies people can invest in. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you invest in Volkswagen groups, not Ducati. Uh Harley Davidson is probably one of the one of the few out there. Um it's interesting to watch how this uh, industry is changing. I'm curious to see how, again, I, I alluded to electrification before, how that is going to um, change perceptions uh, of the industry. I know our readers are very interested in that. Uh, just you know, as with cars, electric cars or something, our readers are very interested in. And I think they're very interested in companies like Zero and electric motorcycle companies, um, um, as well, and Cake and, and companies um, like that. That I think also stand to change some of the perceptions around motorcycling as well. Um, they're cleaner, they're quieter. Um, I think they're going to attract. Uh, companies like that will attract a new a new kind of rider who might have been put off uh, by you know loud V twin motorcycles and stuff like that before. There is there's definitely I I don't see yet as we were talking about earlier. I don't see that you know necessarily. Changing in terms of uh, you know be, being a greener alternative, it, bikes make a heck of a lot of sense in an urban environment like where I live in New York City. Motorcycles make a lot of sense. I'm curious to see whether the success of uh, like scooter sharing companies, and I see more people on scooters on electric scooters uh, such as Revel, uh, and companies doing you with know, the little teeny tiny wheel scooters as well. If though if that will serve as some sort of an introduction to motorcycling for people, I mean, somebody renting an electric scooter or going around on an e bike, uh, is that actually going to translate into you know future motorcycle riders as well as people get used to the idea of like, hey, this is actually pretty convenient?
0: So uh, I'll toss this question out to to both of you guys. You guys can fight over who gets to answer this, and you probably both will. But the um, it's a great point you bring up, Peter, about how e-cycles or are, are electric assist uh, bicycles, which have been a subject on center stand in the past, how that is going to be a bit of a uh, uh, potentially a bit of a gateway into motorcycling, and so those of us again in the power sports forest, we we hope that specialized sells a ton of you know electric assist bicycles and eventually someone goes like i'm gonna put on a helmet and take a class and register and pay insurance and you know all those other steps that you have to do to be a licensed mm-hmm. motorcyclist right we assume from our perspective that that's relatively easy but from um uh, you know from a, a broader population standpoint there's something about a, a bicycle silhouette that's fundamentally different from a motorcycle silhouette would do you yep. guess that 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 may help push things along as much as we are hoping for, or is that just is our e-cycles just like a, a box canyon and that's kind of the end of it?
3: Yeah,
1: that's tough. I mean, I think it, you make some really good points, and especially in places like here in New York, where you actually not every state, they're you saying know, requires a special license for motorcycles. Not every state requires a helmet. Uh, New York requires special licensing. For motorcycles, and for that reason, uh, what we're seeing here in in New York is real regulatory issues where people are coming out with stuff that the regulators can't decide is that a bicycle or is that a motorcycle with an electric motor? I can't really you know well, if you have to pedal it while you're riding, then it's a bike, but if the minute you have you you can ride it and stop pedaling, then you cross the line, and okay, now you're on a motorcycle. So mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of those problems. I mean these are. I think you're right that there still is a different image for a bigger, more powerful motorcycle. But, you know, I do think it's like, yeah, I think maybe a large percentage of e-bike riders and users are not ever going to step up to a motorcycle. But I do sort of feel like some percentage of those people may, as you said, make that their next step when it comes time to think about, do I buy a used car or do I buy a bike? They might just say, you know what, I'm used to this already. I like it. I'm going to make the step towards a motorcycle instead. Mm. So I'm I'm going to have a yeah. take
2: a dissenting view on that. Excellent. Uh, because I I think that the biggest barrier to getting people into motorcycling uh, are two things, motorcyclists and dealers. And the reason I say that is because we have a culture of exclusion. Um new riders immediately labeled squids and uh, are derided. And uh, that's not a great way to welcome people in, into the uh into the industry. It's kind of a, a place that draws cranky loners and that becomes sort of the archetype. People almost aspire to be cranky loners. Uh, this is not a great way to welcome people in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When you walk into the majority of dealerships that I've been into, you are not greeted warmly or treated well. And, uh, Once again, not a great way to welcome people in the industry and make them feel like they're going to be a part of something. Uh, They will finally be accepted when they achieve a certain level um, of, of acceptance by either hanging around long enough or being a good enough rider, or owning the right piece of equipment that someone else can relate to.
0: So that I mean, that's a really interesting point. So, from your perspective, regardless of whether it's a uh, wheeled transportation or or a consumer good or or um, you know a type of food, is is there a a world or a category or a brand uh, that is doing that well that is actually embracing new customers in a compelling way that the power sports industry can go like oh, this new software company is teaching more people how to, you know, through their sort of best practices. What have you seen out there that is actually drawing people in?
2: Uh, Well, you could look at coffee shops, Mm. small roasters. So they get a, they get a, a rabid following because they treat their, their clients well. And Uh, You know, what I would say is that the industry needs to stop looking at riders as cash cows and start looking at them as brand ambassadors and teach them to look at themselves as brand ambassadors.
3: Peter, how do you
0: reflect on that?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I certainly I think you're right that there is there is a somewhat of an intimidating air around the whole motorcycle culture for someone looking in, in it from the outside. If there is that kind of intimidating aspect to it. Um, I think that there are ways to just overcome that. Hopefully some of these, the, the newer bike brands uh, might be better at, at welcoming in and, and changing that culture to some extent. Uh, some of these electric bike brands, the other bike brands that are coming along might be uh, better at that. And hopefully other bike brands and other bike dealers will be, uh, we'll see that competitive nature and, and want to change that. Um, you know, almost every subculture has some of that exclusion to it. I've been around long enough to remember when the internet was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when people getting on the internet, were, oh, there's this newbie getting on the internet. And now it's like, you can't really say that anymore. because like, it's everywhere. Um, so hopefully as it expands, there will be some change. Um, in that department. And when it comes to people not being treated well, certainly that's been true of the auto dealer industry as well. Mm The auto dealers have often been criticized in the past for being a place that almost like where they want to stand in the way of you getting to the car you want rather than help you get the car you want. Uh, We've seen that uh, also starting to change as new dealers come along that have a different philosophy and start to realize look with the you know with the age of the internet where people can shop online and this is true motorcycles now too of course you know we can't be that way uh anymore we we've, we've got to change that
0: so is there when when uh, um when you cover the motorcycle industry and you know uh the, the the process of journalism you know there's there's editors when you when you've got a uh a a video type of story, then obviously there's, you know, there's other, you know, other types of editing, not only to the copy, but to the, to the video itself. One of the things I'll tell you as a motorcyclist that, that gets frustrating is when every single time there's any kind of motorcycle story, whether it's like the Revel e-scooter or, you know, Harley rolling out the um, live wire or, or even, you know, a more traditional, you know, Indian as a challenger brand to the American V twin thing. The soundtrack is always born to be wild. And it just, it, it's like <laughs> kind of continues. It's, it's always that stereotype is like that sort of reinforces that. But when you see an electric motorcycle, like, uh, like a cake, or you see, um, a story about, uh, the rebel electric scooter, which you know, a, a subscription service for those who don't know. And, and the form factor of this thing is way more Honda, Honda metropolitan than it is, you know, Harley Road King, right? Um, is that is that a challenge that we have in the power sports industry to sort of educate Media more, or to go, you know, you guys get it because you speak the language. But how how do we do a better job of connecting with media to kind of break those stereotypes and talk about the different strata of power sports enthusiasts that there are out there?
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, you're right. That's interesting. That those guys tend to fall into that that slot. Uh, I tend not to want to go with be born to be wild it.
0: Thank, thank you, thank on on behalf of all of us. Thank you very much. We appreciate. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think because in the mainstream media, at least where I work at CNN, we don't, as you said, we don't cover the motorcycle industry that often. Uh, Perhaps we sent a reporter to the Sturgis rally, uh, but mostly to cover politics uh, from the Sturgis rally Mm -hmm. last year. So. I don't know that there's a really good answer to that because certainly when you don't cover something that often, when you do cover it, there's a tendency to cover it like the same way every uh, the same way every time. Um, and I've tried to write you know stories about different types or styles of motorcycles that are becoming you know trendy or brands that are trying to break in with with new styles of bikes and new and new, and new types of riding. But it's tough. The, I think the only way to get around that is just is just more like if we did more cover if we covered it more and more often then i think we ourselves would start looking for uh different ways to look at it and understanding better from the inside that you know there are different motorcycle subcultures and it's not all the same thing
2: so roy that
1: there
2: that there are lots of different subcultures but if you look at the dominant culture you just mentioned sturgis
3: Mm -hmm. what
2: is somebody going to see when they go to sturgis
3: Mm -hmm.
2: it's not like going to uh mods and rockers scooter meet
0: well speaking as a person who's been to sturgis for the 10 last 10 years uh including this one when i tried to connect with the cnn reporter out there but but he ran away from me um the uh uh the the culture is changing it is shifting younger but i think it's a it's it's just it's evolutionary and it's not that big revolutionary thing right so in automotive you know when when elon rolls out a new thing and it looks completely different and it doesn't have a front grill and it's got you know it lights up like a christmas tree and does things that no ford does or looks like um then that's that's fundamentally different and interesting right um and uh and and that just touched to the fact that you know most americans have a car and speak some level of car and uh it's only maybe 7% of this country speaks any level of motorcyclist let alone being an enthusiast about it um so what would be an interesting story that would sort of break through. That what you know what if you guys were to project? I know you guys both come at this from being reporters, but uh, but but knowing the kind of technology that's out there, what is it that uh, that would break through? There was uh, I'll I'll back up on that a little bit, but that because I saw a pretty reasonable amount of coverage on like the BMW self riding motorcycle. You know, and all of us in the motorcycle community were like, well, does it just roll up to a Starbucks and order its own coffee? You know, how does that work? Right. And um, but there was there was interest in that, that, you know, that a two wheeled vehicle can 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 ride itself. But are there other, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking specifically vehicle to vehicle or vehicle to infrastructure technologies that could positively affect the safety ratings of of motorcycling are there key stories out there that will expose motorcycling to a broader audience
1: I, I think you touched on one there uh first of all we yeah we also covered the bmw self-riding motorcycle concept um, at that time and obviously that's a cool and interesting idea to people uh generally speaking people have gotten bored with the idea of self-driving cars at this point because it's like yeah keep talking about it it's going to be two years yeah we've heard it before but a self-riding motorcycle was was weird enough to be interesting. Um, obviously, aside, and I've spoken a couple of times about electric bikes, I think that's one thing that there is interest in is electric, uh, electric motorcycles as the range gets better. But I think you touched on safety. And I think things that make motorcycling safer uh, are things that are interesting. Uh, you know, bikes that have automatic. You know, it's forms of we've seen, obviously, automatic uh, braking, ABS, but automatic stability control. Uh, We've seen bikes with airbags uh, on them, like Honda, you know, airbags on the bike itself, airbag uh, gear that people can wear that has airbags in them. I think those are things that people are interested in. Because I think there is, you know, some extent it's just interesting in itself, but also it makes it, again, it takes down some of the intimidation factor a little bit. If someone's like, oh, okay, it's, you know, I I, I don't want to do it or my spouse doesn't want me to do it because it's dangerous. Well, maybe I can, you know, buy one of these jackets that's going to make it safer or buy a bike that has these stability control features on it that I'm less likely to wipe out on. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, we touched on how I had an interest in rider education, and um, I really think that's, that would be the place to start. It's kind of a shame that we don't do what they do in Europe, is that people have to start off on a small displacement bike and learn how to use it and prove that they know how to use it before they can uh, uh, move up. Uh, a lot of people jump out there and say, like, hey, man, I've always wanted this shiny chrome 1,000cc bike, and they ride it once and they drop it, and then it becomes a coat rack in their garage. Um, it it might be a better introduction if we had a way to uh, teach people to get skills, actually ride their bikes, and enjoy them before they moved into something that's uh, a real challenge to handle.
0: So tiered, tiered licensing, I think I, that's one of the things that I've been an advocate for for a long time for a couple of reasons. I started out on a little Suzuki GN 250 and made my mistakes on a little motorcycle before I moved up to, you know, bigger stuff. And that was only because I was broke and that's all I could afford. And that's sort of how it worked out. Um, but uh, forcing that tiered licensing thing, I think is a great point, but that talk about a cultural shift there, boy, that's uh, that is going to be tough to go through there. I think, An area that you guys have probably both covered, and I don't know this for a fact, but we've got this like emerging cycle car world. I'm thinking of Archimoto, the Can-Am Spider, the Polaris Slingshot, these things that live in between car and motorcycle. And you just made the point about tipping over. And and when I do um, Discover the Ride at the International Motorcycle Shows Tour, it's not so much of fear of learning how to operate a motorcycle for the first time. It's that fear of tipping over. If those same motorcycles had three wheels, we would probably have a line four times as long. So, uh, you know, what is it? Um, is, is there something where these three wheeled vehicles are going to merge towards automotive or are they going to get to stay in power sports and continue to help that? What's your guys' perspective on these like sort of cycle car category as as they grow.
1: I've had opportunity to to drive a while back one of these Polaris slingshot. I thought it was a, i thought it was a ton of fun. Um I had a great time with it. I sort of do feel like though that they're probably going to stay in their own lane uh so to speak. It was hard for me to imagine somebody going from that and necessarily uh, jumping into a motorcycle which as you point out is a very a very different experience from a, a rider's standpoint that fear of tipping over Um, is still there. It's an interesting space. I expect we're going to see more things in that space. Uh, For one thing, the barrier to entry for manufacturers is lower because with three wheels, they don't have to have all the safety uh, stuff that a four-wheeled automobile has to have. So from a regulatory standpoint, it's easier to get into. They're less expensive to buy. Uh, It's a cool space. Uh, Definitely keeping an eye on it, but I kind of don't feel like I – Hard to imagine a lot of of uh, movement into motorcycles from those.
0: But would you see? Um, and and I'm probably answering my own question here. But but uh, there would be an increased amount of interest from um, sort of typical car drivers. Do I buy that Miata or do I buy a slingshot? Because it's like you know a little bit more exciting and thrilling. I,
2: I'm yeah. gonna prefer that. that. I could I
3: could see that. Yeah. Good.
0: Good.
2: Well,
3: I can preface my answer
2: by saying let me preface what I'm gonna say by by saying that look, anything you enjoy riding, driving, fine. No judgment. You should enjoy it. That's great. But I kind of don't get the whole three wheeler thing. To me, it's the worst of both worlds. It's not as engaging as a motorcycle, it's not as comfortable as a car. I don't understand it.
0: It's the it's it's the hot pocket of the power sports industry, is what you're saying. It's functional. Oh, I, don't but I don't know. Why do that? I, I <laughs> no. Well
2: I was about to say there 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 are times in which I might enjoy a hot pocket. There, <laughs> times, there may be times in which I would enjoy a slingshot as well. Uh you know, not to cast dispersions on the slingshot. Right, right.
1: Uh, I don't know. I I having driven the slingshot and driven plenty of sports cars. To me, there there really was a difference. It may not be as engaging as a as a motorcycle, but it certainly was more fun than than most uh, sports cars I I've driven. It's sort of a more pure raw sort of experience than than even driving a Miata. So I would I, I would differ there. I think there is enough coming at it from the car perspective. I think there is enough of the difference.
0: One of the uh, one of the uh, pillars that I stand on when I get a chance to um, bark at the power sports industry and mass some way is that uh, I was personally upset that when the slingshot was introduced, or when you know Archimoto, the electric three wheel version or or even the even the Canam spider. Um, was introduced years prior, 10 years prior to the slingshot. Um, There was like sort of this uh, universal howling from traditional power sports people. That's not a motorcycle. And, you know, that doesn't belong here and that sort of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a twenty five thirty thousand dollar unit with a pretty reasonable profit margin and there's a pretty good chance that um that consumer doesn't have the equipment at home to do their own oil change so it's probably a good service business as well why would you let that money go into another category you know if we if, if like let it go into uh uh, well, Volkswagen had a three wheeled concept for a little while, right? Why would you let let that money go away so um not really a question just i'm 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 hooking the ears of the few uh uh folks that would be able to influence that is the fact that I think that the three wheel product is a significant opportunity in power sports and that will take us from you know seven percent to 8% to 9%, you know, as that, as that group of people start to balance between buying a Miata or buying a, a Slingshot. Um, I think that that's a, it's a pretty interesting category. And I, and I would bet the right form factor and maybe even the right brand, if Volkswagen, for instance, did come out with the three-wheeled thing that took advantage of what it could take advantage of. Um, and and sort of fit into transportation metrics someplace that or uh, matrix excuse me someplace that that um, that is something that that broader industry or broader journalism would be interested in. Am I wrong?
2: Well, first of all, I want to go back yeah. to something that you pointed out here. You just described the problem in itself. You said that this thing comes out and people go, "That's not a motorcycle."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if we're going to fight over flavors, it's 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 going to hurt the industry. Um Like I said, if people want to ride these things, great, they should ride them. Why would you exclude them? Why would you say you can't ride with us because you got one more wheel than we do?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: or why would you look down on someone because they have it? as I said, it's not my thing, but if it's someone else's, great. I think that the industry culture needs to be a little more inclusive, a little more welcoming, I and mean, when we all know, there are motorcycles that will not pull over and stop some help someone on the side of the road if it's not their brand of motorcycle.
3: Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, hard rudder on our conversation right now. And I want to, uh, we're obviously in, we're finally, uh, many would say at a point where we're, um, seeing a significant shift in the government. Um, Broadly speaking, uh, from sort of the uh, uh, maybe an administration standpoint, do you guys project any difference in the approach to power sports from a regulatory standpoint or from a um, uh, any sort of categorical standpoint with the new administration coming in versus the old, or or do things move so slowly on regulatory that they just don't keep up with? Technology and design changes, and so it doesn't really matter. well,
2: it's such a small part of the 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 audience it's such such a small part of drivers uh I think it's inconsequential
3: to them they don't even think about it. It's an afterthought. That's an ominous so, do you
1: mean, yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you mean that that that, that it's not going to get looked at because the political consumer doesn't care about that, and so a lot of change isn't going to happen because the regulators are going to be looking at things more like automotive fuel economy emissions. Uh, I'm, that's I'm, I'm, what voters care about.
0: I think I see where I see an interesting um, difference in sort of the political agenda from the from you know administration forty five to. Um, the history of where administration 46 is coming from is like land closure, for instance, right? Um, so uh, there was a lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, land closure that happened under the Obama administration that that cut out uh, off-road access, for instance. So here we are looking at the growth of off-road and side-by-sides in the, the Bronco that you were talking about and, you know, and that kind of interest that um if all of a sudden the environment to go play with these toys isn't there um you know then that that makes it more difficult to sell these things obviously so um uh i just wonder if from a political standpoint if uh, power sports is in a in a, a better place in the future um versus in the past
1: well i think as you just mentioned i think it certainly would not be in a it would not be in a better place. Uh also because politically, um, as we were talking about earlier, then, you know, the image of motorcyclists is not the best. Um and so therefore it's like, well, you know, these guys, the, the idea that motorcyclists or off-road motorcyclists and off-road vehicle drivers just want to like rip up the environment, uh unfortunately that might have some traction, no pun intended, uh mm-hmm. with a lot of people that like, oh, I don't care if they're upset, you know um they're just destroying the earth anyway uh so i think that that could be a bit of a problem from from that front as well as well as you know things like looking at the california air resources board are they going to you know if if motorcycling is taking off more people are buying bikes does that mean there's going to be a look at you know motorcycle emissions uh harder than there has been no it's not a huge amount but you know, it's one of those things that occasionally people come around and look at it and say, you know, these things could be a lot cleaner um, than they are.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roy, do you have a comment on that?
2: Uh, no, I agree that the, um, you know, we're likely looking at uh, movement towards cleaner air, but still I think that if you look at the percentage of motorcycles out there, it's small enough that it's kind of at the end of the list of things to address.
0: Gotcha. All right, guys, we're going to wrap things up. And I asked this same question of all of our guests, and it's going to be interesting coming from you guys, because our guests, you know, for all the prior episodes had been, um, much more closely inside the power sports industry. But, um, uh, for, from your guys' perspective as reporters, uh, reporting on products, reporting on the business of power sports and reporting on sort of the general category of this sort of uh, gearhead enthusiasm, if you will. If you had all of the manufacturers and dealers in this country in the room at the same time um, and you had a, a quick opportunity to address them as to how to make um, their business more successful from your perspective, um, what would you say to them? And I'd like, uh, let's have, uh, Roy, why don't you go first for me?
2: Well, uh, there are a couple of aspects to this. One is if you're looking for press, um, make it possible to find your press guy and then return the phone calls when you get them. (laughs) Um, uh, side note to that, uh, we're not cheerleaders. Don't expect us to Simply do the story as you dictate it and wish it to be, and then complain. Um, you know, if you're used to dealing with the trades, yeah, they're dependent on you. You can tell them what to do. That's not going to happen in the mainstream news. Um, one of the things that that's become a bugaboo for me is, as I'd said about treating your customers as uh, uh, brand ambassadors. Um, I have a Suzuki B-Strong, and the uh, gas cap corroded. The I have to pour oil in it to to get the key out. And took it into the shop. They said, "Oh yeah, this this happens. It's a known thing. You got to replace it." Okay, how much? Well, with labor, two hundred and fifty bucks for the gas cap.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I said, "Well, I went online and looked. You can get them for twenty five bucks." And they said, "Right, but that's a you know cheap Chinese knockoff." And it's not going to last. I'm like, well, the $250 one doesn't last. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can buy 10 of those for one of these. I can change them out every year and I'm pretty much covered. Um, And their answer was, well, do what you want. Um, I think that you have to consider that that I'm not the only writer who has this problem and this sort of like, well, pal, you're on your own. Um, It's not a great attitude. It's not something that makes people love your brand, um, and you know people tend to love their bikes and dislike the company that made it and dislike the shop that works on it. Mm. That really needs to end.
3: Peter, what do you think? Uh,
1: well, everything he said, particularly about the part about looking for reaching out to please answer the phone calls. Uh, some are better than others uh, in that respect. But I think one thing that we're looking for also is a a focus on innovation, um, not just a cool new style of bike or like one slightly different from another one. Uh, but what, you know, what are the real innovations in the industries that are coming out, both in terms of electrification, new powertrain options, but also, as I said before, uh, new safety options and things that are going to open up biking and motorcycling rather to people who, uh, you
0: weren't in it before gentlemen i want to thank you both for joining we certainly appreciate it you can follow roy on twitter at roy Furchgott. that's at r-o-y f-u-r-c-h-g-o-t-t roy has got the biggest gas cap keychain on the internet and then uh you can follow along with peter the best way to find his stuff is log on to cnn.com slash business And look for Peter Valdez de Pena's stories and click that byline. You'll see all his stories. Uh, Peter's busy making room for a uh, cycle car in his garage. I'm certain that's going to happen. So season one has been exceptional. We covered a lot of topics. Uh, It's been my honor to host Center Stand, and I have to thank our amazing producers, Lauren, Audrey, Tam, for their work. Um, It's really been a great season, and there's a lot of folks behind the scenes who are making us sound more intelligent than I could possibly be on a regular weekday. Thanks to Sam for editing uh, and uh, and keeping us on track here. Stay tuned for season two coming up in 2021. If you have any topics or guests that you would like us to host here or questions that you want us to answer on the next season of Center Stand, you can reach out to us at IMSPR at Informa.com. That's I N F O R M A.com. Um, we got an e newsletter that's going to be coming up to an inbox near you. You can subscribe to that at ContinueTheRide.com. And don't forget to follow the motorcycle shows on all our social media platforms, including LinkedIn, uh, for an exciting look at IMS Outdoors. Our 2021 schedule is going to go live on December 4th. So there's an early Christmas present for you. Once again, Thank you, uh, Roy Furchgott from the New York Times and Peter um, uh, Valdez de Pena from CNN Business. We appreciate your guys' perspective, and we will see all of you down the road.